You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR is radical radio, and that means more than just alternative current affairs and political coverage. We're radical because we're an independent media outlet, owned and operated by the community. We're radical because we give communities the control of their own shows, with their own music, in their own languages. We're radical because we provide a media platform for communities to build their own power to create social change. Become a subscriber and support Radical Radio. Call us on 03 9419 8377 or subscribe online at 3cr.org.au/subscribe. beating fast and that's the rhythm I can dance to I'm mighty glad I've got a chance to that one big heart that's beating fast tomorrow morning let it rain tomorrow morning let it pour tonight we're in the groove together ain't gonna worry about stormy weather Gonna kick all trouble out the door. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. Beat out old trouble and drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. Beat me that rhythm on the drum. And kick all trouble out the door. Kick him out the door. Kick him out the Welcome to Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The world's greatest producer, Kelly Whitworth, is here with us. She's put her hand in the barrel and put out another guest. Another great guest. Yes, and my name's Joseph Toscano, but the real star of the show is, I think, Professor Simon Butt. Are you there, Professor? I am. Hello. How are you? Good. Now, I hope Kelly warned you, this, this is 56 minutes, there are no ads, there's no community announcement, it's just you, me and Kelly will come in if I get too difficult. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, look, this is, like, this, this is not like lecturing students at you know, the law faculty of the University of Sydney, this is real life. Now, oh, just a little bit, little bit of background about yourself, where were you born? I was born in Sydney, Australia. And you're still there. <laughs> and I'm still there. I have travelled a bit uh, in the meantime. Have but, you? Uh, yeah, yes. well, I've spent a lot of time in Indonesia and yeah. elsewhere, but uh, uh, that's uh, this is where I've ended up, right where I started. Right. How old are you? I'm about to turn 50. Oh, that's all right. I'm, I'm a septuagenarian. <laughs> and uh, Kelly's about to turn 50, so it's all right. <laughs> she got a bit upset there. <laughs> so... So obviously, you went to a private school, I assume. No. I no, you didn't. You're one of us. Went to a public school, oh. uh, as do my children. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I went to uh, North Sydney Boys High School, uh-huh. which is uh, a, a very good school. Yes. And um, surprisingly, 
one of the reasonably um, numerous schools back then that taught Indonesian language. Mm, mm. Uh, and so I was able to sit in class and, and learn from a fantastic teacher uh, who motivated uh, the whole class very well uh, in the Indonesian language, and um, it kind of propelled me into this career. Mm. It wasn't Philip Bull, was it? Philip what? Philip Bull. He's the, he was the uh, friend of mine here in uh, in Victoria, and when he retired after teaching Indonesian to grubby-nosed high school students for 30 years, the Indonesian consulate came down with a band to Warrnambool to uh, one of those Indonesian, you know, bands. Uh, like a gamelan band. A gamelan band and uh, honoured him. So I assume there's a few of them around. I assume they've all disappeared these days. Yeah, they... well, 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 there are now, um, I think it's fair to, I think the figure is fewer Australian students studying Indonesian than at the height of the white Australia policy. Yeah, it's just, just extraordinary. Obviously, Indonesia must be thousands of kilometres away. Not even. Not even. It's only, it's only a few hundred. Yeah, that's right. It's only a few hundred kilometres from our from our near north. Well, so I, I understand uh, it. It's seventy-eight kilometres from West Papua. Well, Australia. Yeah. No. No. Well, West Papua is part of Indonesia. You know. So that's right. Australia. Yeah. Right up there. Because I've got a few hats as far as Indonesia is concerned. Now, Simon. So after high school, where'd you go? What university? I went to Canberra to ANU to uh-huh. study uh, Indonesian and a bit of law on the side. A bit of law on the side. That's right. It, was well, that I, was I, that your mistress, Law? Was it? Yeah. <laughs> she, 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 she was very good to me, well, she... pushing me in a in a career. Right. Uh, but but I went there primarily to continue my Indonesian studies because ANU was and remains one of the best places to, to study about Indonesia. Mm. Um, back then, there were actually quite a few options. So being a Sydney person, you know, I could have gone to any of the big Sydney universities to study Indonesian. Mm. But nowadays, really, Sydney Uni is the only one left of of all of them, um, you know, Macquarie and UTS and UNSW that that still teach Indonesian language. Anyway, so that's where I went. I went off went off to, to ANU, yeah. uh, uh, which is a very vibrant, uh, interesting community for those interested in Indonesia. Oh well, the last time I was at ANU was 1970. <laughs> Did you study there? No, I was there for the for the week of rage. Right. Student activists from around Australia congregated in uh, Canberra. Uh, unfortunately, I was arrested, but that's a different story. <laughs> you know, there were thousands of students, you know, surrounding government buildings. But that was 1970. Now, getting back, why Indonesia? Why didn't you study French or German? What's what's wrong with well, you? Funny, Joe. Um, I did. <laughs> Um, my father uh, is also a retired academic, mm-hmm. and he um, took us all over to the UK on a sabbatical. When I came back to Australia, I wanted to study French, which I'd been studying in in England, but uh, I couldn't because the French class was full, and so I was forced to choose a different language, and that's how I got into Indonesia. It's fascinating, isn't it? These little junctures in our lives where moments, that's yeah, right. yeah, we make a decision and then it's it's traps us and traps us for eternity well yeah that's right and i've just kind of followed my nose since then mm. um plenty of opportunities that have come my way and i've taken them right so when was the first time you went to indonesia i went to indonesia on a school excursion in year 10 
sales? Um, that just after the Sahara had disappeared, or was it? During... No, no, that was. I'm not. I'm not that young. Um, no, I didn't. Think so. I didn't. Th- no, no, he, he said fifty. Still... He went in ninety eight, wasn't it? That the, it all disintegrated, was it? That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. But this was in the eighties when <laughs> um, when he was still kind of coming into the height of his power, I suppose. Uh-huh. And um, but not that we understood that when we were. Um, uh, kind of gallivanting around Ubud uh, school 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 children, but more interesting was when I went back to study there for a year. Um, this is part of my ANU studies, and that was when Sahada really was in his prime in terms of his power. Uh, this is ninety five, ninety six, and you know you got a sense of what it was like to live in an authoritarian country like Indonesia, um, mm. which is something that I think many younger Indonesians today uh, haven't experienced. Um, You might know that the Indonesian presidential and legislative elections are happening today, right now, in fact. Right now, while we speak, yes. As we speak. And and, uh, what is it, a a war criminal is going to be elected as president, I understand? It looks very much like (laughs) Prabowo Subianto. Uh, No figures have come out yet because polling is still taking place. Mm. Um, But... He is the front runner, and as you say, or you'd say this, but um, as you suggest, he has a checkered um, past after being head of the military special forces wing under under Sahada, involved in all sorts of uh, allegedly involved in all sorts of operations. Uh, I'm glad you used the word allegedly. Yes, well, <laughs> it's that, that these, he, he denies some many of these um, yes. alleged incidents, and they've never been proven in a no. court of law. But nobody's actually been in court for the uh, massacres in was it sixty was it sixty two sixty three was it a million people were killed in a Six, sixty yeah sixty six sixty six um, yeah yeah that's right not one person um, has ever been to court for that have they I, I'm not I, I, I'm pretty sure that's right mm. um, there may have been a few people charged with things here and there but mm. the 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 campaign of killing um, has not been unravelled um, in a courtroom despite. Mm. Indonesia's um, National Human Rights Committee Commission kind of calling for, for it to happen and doing some of their own investigations. Um, so the, the, the state really hasn't wanted to get involved in that in, in, uh, in any meaningful way. I mean, there's no real discussion, is there, in Indonesia itself, apart from a few limited circles? Oh, it's, there's, there's, a, there's a recognition that, that something happened that um, mm. it's quite traumatic. Um, you know, mm. Indonesians are... Uh, have seen the act of killing. Have you seen that movie, um, um, which uh, kind of tried to get to the bottom of some of the perpetrators? They mm-hmm. identified some people who, who admitted doing what they what they did back in in the nineteen sixty five nineteen sixty six times. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say it's not spoken about. It's just that the powers that be are not really willing to, mm-hmm. to unravel the. The ball that is that time. Yeah, not not that we can speak, considering the history of colonisation in this country. I think that's right. Yeah. Now, Simon. Yes. The university. What is it? The University of Melbourne Press gave Kelly a book, which she's given me, which says Simon Butt on it. It says Judicial Dysfunction in Indonesia. Oh, that's good. <laughs> is that your book? It, it is. It is my book. And I understand this was a COVID child. It was largely a COVID child. Mm-hmm. Um, 
well, not in entire isolation from from everyone, but um, mm. yes, it's something I did sit down and write then. Yes, and I understand you're a professor of Indonesian law at the University of Sydney Law School, right? All right. Now, look, most of us know nothing about the judicial system in Indonesia. What was it like under Suharto? Well, under Suharto, if you were in a dispute against the government, or indeed if you got picked up by the police um, for, for anything they said they said you did, I think you were in a bit of trouble. Right. Um, the, the, the court system, um, you know, quite apart from the police and the prosecutorial systems, was um, pretty well controlled by the government. Um, and people were referred to... Um, there being a system of telephone justice where if you were um, a judge on a court hearing a case involving some government entity that you could expect a, a call from the palace or some other government government building to direct you as to how you might want to um, uh, decide the case. So there are very, very, very few um, cases in which the, the government lost in, the, in that period. But, but there, um, there was a some type of judicial system, was there? Or was it, or they just oh yeah, there was, a, there, was a, there was a fully a fully fledged judicial system. It just mm. wasn't independent, and it, the judges back then, as they are now, uh, were civil servants, which means that they were kind of bright-eyed, bushy-tailed graduates um, from law school who basically went through a bit of training and found themselves on the bench within a few years. So you had quite young judges, as you do still in Indonesia, not, not very experienced, um, uh, kind of in charge. And I suppose younger um, people who have come up through the Indonesian judicial, uh, education system, legal education, at least back then, might have been um, more willing to take dictation, I suppose. Um, mm. But the other problem, of course, was really bad, really high levels of corruption in the courts. You're kidding. Yes, that's right. I am. I'm not. So, so, <laughs> Sahado was the Sahado era was pretty bad in terms of uh, judicial corruption. Um, now, I don't think the independence, judicial independence of government, um, is quite as bad as it, as it was, or judicial dependence. Now, well, look, look, government. we're going we're going to go. Look, I'm we'll sorry to, to tell you. I'm sorry to tell you how I'm going to run this interview. Yeah, but you've got to understand that most of our listeners have got no idea about what you're talking about, so we're going to just right, build right. it up. So this okay, was pre-'98. Right. Sahara was a dictator. Right. There was a that's judicial right. system. It was totally right. cor- Well, it was corrupt, and they were basically, you know, you didn't, couldn't ex- especially if you had a dispute with the government or somebody who was powerful, you, didn't, you couldn't expect to win, basically. That's right. And mm. we also had, during that time, um, you know, some widely um, reported allegations of human rights abuses. Um, That's when you're talking about the judiciary, um, I'm thinking in the mid-80s, I think it was, where there were some extrajudicial, or there was a, a, a program of extrajudicial um, killings of, of thugs on, um, you know, around Indonesian cities, um, thought to be put, um, kind of conducted by the, by the armed forces. Uh, and none of the armed forces of those uh, people involved in that were were brought to to heal, brought to justice. That's right. But it's, you know, all these extrajudicial killings around that time were quite horrific. Yeah, and you've got you've got West Papua, the continuing struggle there. You had Timor, you had the issues in Sumatra. Okay, yes, like, you did. 
Aceh, yeah. uh, all these places that were trying to, to mm. break away from Indonesia at the time. Right. So, 98, freedom, 90, democracy. Uh, what 98, is <laughs> that's right. Free, so we have a, an economic crisis in Indonesia. Um, that uh, and Indonesia was hit hardest by by this crisis of all the other Asian countries mm-hmm. that were hit badly. Um, suddenly, you have um, a real threat of Indonesia falling apart. So, just for your listeners, Indonesia is a country of two hundred and seventy, two hundred eighty million people, spread across eighteen or thousand or so islands. 5,000 kilometres or so from east to west, so an archipelago that I think, but for Dutch rule, so Dutch Dutch colonial rule, um, may not have ever come together as a as a state, as a single country. Uh, and the the problems in West Papua, in Aceh, um, in East Timor, you know, are I think symptomatic of. The, the the difficulties that Indonesia faces in trying to keep their country together. There are lots of ethnic, religious, social, economic differences in Indonesia that keep kind of threatening to pull it apart. Mm-hmm. And back in 1998, when the central government was very weak because of the economic crisis, people thought that Indonesia was going to finally split um, the, the the strong arm of Sahado had kept it together for decades, but people thought it might break up, it might balkanise uh, at that time. And so we're talking about freedom and democracy. Well, suddenly all the things that people had been complaining about um, in relation to the the government, so you know, human rights abuses, um, corruption was was huge. The central government amassed an enormous amount of, of money. Mm-hmm. Sahato himself, I think, was worth around thirty billion US dollars at this stage, according to some estimates. Mm-hmm. So all these all these things were coming to a head, and um, the the leaders of Indonesia at the time that Sahato stepped aside was forced to resign. Thought, well, unless we actually um, commit to doing some real reforms, then we're going to have absolutely no power at all because Indonesia is going to split up. Uh, and so um, some people refer to this as kind of a genuine reform, so not lip service anymore, which I suppose occurred a bit under Sahado sometimes, but a real desire to make changes so that Indonesia would naturally want to stay as a single country. Right. Now, a lot of, a lot of people I know who've very familiar with Indonesia, basically say that the upper echelons of the uh, you know the president and the upper echelons of the political system are usually are traded between five or six families. Is that correct? Or so there are certainly very powerful families in Indonesia. Mm. Um, there are um, very rich business people. Um, and, yeah, political power these days, I think we're jumping ahead a bit. I mean, mm-hmm. back then under Sahado, we had a number of very strong conglomerates, yep. particularly of, of Chinese business people. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those uh, structures are still in place today. and They've been used to um, kind of gain political influence. Back then it was almost entirely economic because Sahado had his finger on 
in all in all pies, I suppose you could say. Um, mm. So, yes, that's right. There's still an enormous amount of wealth held in an enormously small number of, of hands in Indonesia. Um, and I think it's it's one of the, according to Oxfam, I think the figures come from, it's one of the most inequitable countries in the world. Mm. Maybe they've got private charities like the Smith family trying to raise money to send Indonesian kids to Indonesian schools <laughs> like yeah, we have well, here. I mean, the irony yeah. of it all, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I, I have tears when I see that. Now, yeah. getting back to uh, the judicial system, post-98, could you explain to us uh, the various courts and their functions in Indonesia? Yeah, so um, so we, ha- we had suddenly this impetus for reform. And one of the, the things that um, reformists, activists in Indonesia had been long calling for had been human rights protections. Indonesia had nothing, uh, and, and decided to introduce a Bill of Rights into Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Yeah. They've got a Bill of Rights and we don't. What's exactly. going on here? <laughs> I love telling Indonesians this. <laughs> I, mean, um, I mean, we've got the right to trial by jury if we do a serious crime. We've got the right to choose our religious belief. Yeah. Uh, we've got the right to fair, so-called fair compensation for our land is... Uh, compulsory acquired, but the one I love, I don't know if you know this one, obviously being a professor of law you'd know this one, that we do have a right not to be discriminated against in Australia uh, depending on where we live because when oh, we first federated you know, yeah. that was a big issue you know? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah <laughs> But we got yeah. no other rights, and they got more rights than us on paper, what's going on? They've basically got the entire catalogue of international human rights so freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of, you know, uh, right well, to education. freedom of association. Freedom of association, right to an education, oh. right to an adequate standard of living, um, all these rights. So I could go on. And you're pointing the um, stick at them. I'm not pointing the stick at anyone. <laughs> yeah, right. but, but but what 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 happened what happened back then? I mean, this was something that people were been arguing about. So you have these extrajudicial killings. You have a legal system that doesn't work. You have enormous poverty and and rich people um, uh, kind of exploiting the poor. And so one of the one of the the the, the moves after Sahado fell was was to try and improve human rights. Again, part of this genuine concern to, to establish reform to keep Indonesia together. And so then you had a new court, the Constitutional Court, um, and mm. that is the court pitched on the on the front of my, my new book. Is, is, that, is that like the High Court here, is it? Or has it, it got a, a different... Like, it's, it, is, it is like the High Court here. It, they have slightly different functions, but essentially it's... In Indonesia, you have the two, you have two high courts, two highest courts, mm-hmm. the Constitutional Court and the Supreme Court. And I suppose our high court is a bit like both of those two courts combined. Um, right. But, but, the, but one of the functions of the Constitutional Court was to try and hold the government to account to these new rights to keep the government from violating those rights. Um, now, that court was quite limited and... Um, is having a few troubles of its own right now. Maybe we can talk about them later. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, now, going back uh, to the Constitutional Court, is, the judge, how many judges are there, and are they appointed by the government of the day? Yeah, so there are nine judges, mm-hmm. um, and three are chosen by the parliament, three are chosen by the executive, and three are chosen by the Supreme Court. And that's so, better than our High Court, isn't it? 
Well, I think so. In the I mean, they're all, they're all chosen by the government of the day. Yeah, well, that's right. Um, it's, I think it's called the re- representative system. It's actually not only Indonesia that has it. There are other countries in the world that have it as well. But mm. it's designed to keep the court as impartial as, as possible. Right. So that if disputes arise between these institutions that have to be decided by the court, then the court can, you know, is not going to be necessarily biased towards one or other of the institutions. And so if one of the judges dies or retires, then the the institution, whether that be the parliament or the court or the or the or the executive, gets to choose the replacement. So you've always got that three 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 split. A bit, the court. bit like a senator. If a senator dies, it's the party that uh, appointed them that gets the go ahead. Get, gets the yeah. Are, are, you, are you old enough to remember good old Bjelke Peterson? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> remember, was it seventy six? Could have been before then, when he appointed a senator uh, from a different party uh, when a senator died, and he changed the actual composition of the Senate. And then we had a then we had a referendum, which actually passed, where the Australian people decided that um, you know it had to be the same party that party. had to be appointed. Yeah, that was a big mm. issue. I remember then, big yeah, issue. There you go. Mm. Look, I, I think I'm going to throw your book away. You, you're giving me a beautiful picture of the Indonesian oh. judiciary. They've got human rights. They've got a representative constitutional no, no, court. As long as, as long as you've already paid for it, I don't care what you do with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this actually was given to us by the University of Melbourne I know, Press. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, all right, so you got this, what's the Supreme Court do? Well, the Supreme Court hears appeals from all the other courts. So... I said Indonesia had 270 million people spread across, you know, thousands of islands. Well, mm-hmm. it has about 300 local courts across the country. Right. And each of those courts has a, a kind of an overseeing court in, a, in, a, in one of Indonesia's 35 provinces, 36 provinces. And then all of those decisions can be appealed up to the Supreme Court. So it's at the apex of this quite complicated structure of, of lower courts and it decides i'm trying to remember the precise figures because they are in the book Mm. um something along the lines of 20 or thirty thousand cases a year right that's the supreme court that's the supreme court now our high court Mm. our high court decides no more than a hundred i think it's fair to say i could be i could be i don't have the figures at hand but it's something along those lines and who appoints the people to the the judges to the supreme court well, the Supreme Court itself uh, usually does. Right. So it's because it's, it's, it's a different different system to ours. Mm. So in Australia, we have judges who are usually barristers first. As I said before, in Indonesia, judges are generally law graduates that are trained to become judges. And so making your way up to the Supreme Court is a bit like, you know, working your way up in a government department to, to oh, become yeah. it's manager. Like, it's, 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 like, it's like our political system where you start your life off as an undergraduate, uh, leave university, become a aide to some type of parliamentarian, then a yep. cabinet minister, and before you know it, you're Premier of Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Indonesia with the courts... You generally start off in some outer island um, where no one wants to go, and make your way up. So you might you might make make your way up to, you know, a higher level of judge on that court, and then you get transferred to a bigger city, and then you end up 
after 30 years or so, if, you've do, if you do well, we can talk about what that means later if you like, <laughs> then you might, you might end up um, um, on the Supreme Court. So there's 51 judges on the Supreme Court. Or 51. Maximum of 51. And what, they, they all said it once? No, they split their so they split their their cases into panels. So there's a criminal law panel and a civil mm. law panel and a public administrative law panel, etc. Um, but you might be interested to know that um, in Indonesia you can bring a case or a case to the Supreme Court twice. Twice. So, so if you don't like the first decision of the Supreme Court, you can you can have another bite of the cherry. Oh, I like that. Well, it depends. If, if, <laughs> now it's being facetious. Depends on the amount of money. It sounds great in practice, but <laughs> if, you're the, if you're the party that's taken to court for the second time yeah. well, in the Supreme Court and you lose, then it's not so great. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really problematic jurisdiction. Do, do, do they have a, uh, an equivalent of a, a magistrate's court, you know, for minor issues? They have so I think all of the all of the cases start all of the non constitutional cases start at the, at the district court, right. um, yeah. but there are expedited procedures for things like traffic offences, right. those types of things. So there are swift ways of handling those matters. So but how how, how ma- you know Indonesians are well, Islam has become very um, significant in the last few decades. Yes. How, how does those courts actually uh, work in conjunction to the Islamic courts. Well, so that's so, so that, that's right. So Indonesia has what eighty-seven, eighty-eight uh, percent of its population who call themselves Muslims, mm-hmm. uh, and we have also in Indonesia a system of what are called religious courts. But it's a bit of a misnomer because they only hear cases between Muslims. So it's they're really Islamic courts. They hear things like marriage disputes, um, you know, divorces, inheritance, um, those types of things. Primarily divorce courts, um, funnily enough. Now they um, they apply um, Islamic law as is codified by the state. So they don't go straight to the Quran, or they shouldn't go straight to the Quran, and apply the the, the verses of the Quran mm. and any other sources of Islamic law. They should be going to the to the kind of Indonesian government's description mm. of of those um, those principles. But but yeah. if they but but again they so their decisions can be appealed all the way up to the Supreme Court, which also has an Islamic law or a religious chamber. Right. So Aceh is that a, is that. Different to the rest of Aceh is, is a special case. Mm. Um, it also has that system of courts, but it has um, authority. The, national, the Parliament of, of, of Aceh has authority to pass uh, a wider range of laws on, on reflecting Islamic principles. Mm. So, even criminal Islamic law is is um, is you know provided for there, and that can be enforced by the courts. They're called the Makama Sharia, the Sharia courts. Right. Uh, and controversially, yeah. controversially, yes. um, um, you know, there's caning as as punishment mm. um, for some mm. of those types of crimes, things like adultery. Yeah, well, you'll find this a bit funny. Uh, an acquaintance of mine found himself in a Saudi Arabian prison, not on a moral crime; it was, a, it was an economic crime. 
and he was, uh, it was about 30 years ago, he was sentenced to 50 lashes. Yeah. But the problem was <laughs> the bloke had to <laughs> meet out the punishment, had to have a Koran under his armpit. Really? <laughs> yes. So, you know, the actual beating was more symbolic than anything else. Yeah, well, that's, that's, I've never heard of that, but, but it would work. Um, in Indonesia, they'll often have, you see pictures of it, the person being whipped mm. will often be wearing a quite thick shirt. Um, so, uh, look, I'm not, I'm not downplaying. Some, some people report, oh, I shouldn't be downplaying this, because some people report being quite severely injured by it. I'm sure cane, they are, but, I'm sure they are. But, um, but I think what you say about symbolism is, I mean, it's a good point because often they'll they'll hold these types of, of they'll have cold caning after Friday prayer. Mm. You know, Jay. So yeah. Mm. Look, uh, we're having a little chat. You, I wouldn't call this an interview with Professor Simon, but Professor of Indonesian Law at the University of Sydney Law School, and uh, we really haven't got into his book, Judicial Dysfunction in Indonesia. Now. This sounds almost, you know, unbelievable. Bill of Rights, politicians not dominating who gets chosen. Um, what went wrong? What's going on? Why did, well, you, why did you say judicial dysfunction in Indonesia? Don't, don't the judges get paid enough? Well, no. <laughs> they say they don't, but I, I dare say judges everywhere say they don't, except Singapore, where they can't really say that. <laughs> Um, but but, but um, uh, look, where to start? I mean, there's all sorts of problems. So one of the main ones is corruption. What do you mean by corruption? Because you define corruption. What I, what, I, what I mean is judges taking money to fix cases. Um, Excuse me, is, if I had enough cash in my pocket, there must be some discreet way that you take the money. You don't just take it up at the beginning of the court case, do you, and give it to the judge? Well, there, yes, there are there are channels for doing this. Uh -huh. um, what official now, channels or unofficial? Or? Well, unofficial, right. but um, f fairly well known. Mm -hmm. um, and I talk about these in the book. Um, one of the really interesting, and I suppose, ironic or um, kind of counterintuitive, I suppose, um, issues with Indonesia is that there's, there's this high level of corruption, and so bad that the president of Indonesia set up a judicial mafia task force and um, made it, it's comprised of, I think, five or six really high-level officials, um, scholars, former police, former prosecutors. And they set out what they call these entry points during the process, the legal process, at which corruption can occur. So when you, uh, you know, go to, to register your case at a court, you know, the person who is receiving your registration papers might you know, take a take, take a, a bribe and might um, decide. And I'm not I'm not saying this based on my own experience. This is what what this report says mm -hmm. issued by the presidential um, task force. You know, you pay money to have the case you know put into the court's docket, and then you have you, you might pay money to get a favourable. Um, set of judges hearing your case, ones that might be susceptible to, to bribe, bribery, so you can bribe your way to a good decision or the decision. That so, you like. there's a list of judges who are susceptible to bribery. Well, the uh, the person who's, who's, who takes your case uh, from the beginning when you turn up to court and want to file it um, mm. probably has this conversation with you. But, oh, nice. but in criminal cases, 
Uh, it's a, it's a little bit um, murkier and, uh, and darker because um, one of the the problems is the criminalisation of of civil matters. So um, people who may have commercial disputes in Indonesia. Uh, might find themselves being reported to police for something or other that they may or may not have, have done. And it's used as kind of a negotiation tactic in, in commercial disputes. Mm. There are a lot of a lot of few people in Indonesian jails, including Westerners, who would say that that's precisely what happened to them. Um, so the point, the, point, the point I'm making here is that the... I mean, we, they call it the, the judicial mafia mm. in Indonesia and in this, this, this task force report. And it's because police, prosecutors, judges tend to be in on it together uh, and and um, kind of pass on opportunities for corruption to each other. Is, now, one, is, is the corruption, is it really a matter of uh, judges not being paid enough? It's not no, seen as a... No. no, it's just greed, isn't one it? Of the, one, mm. of the, one of the, the things that the, the international agencies always say is, well, the first thing to do is to make sure judges are being paid enough because judges who are, um, you know, not, not being able to end, make ends meet are going to be more likely to pay a bribe, to receive a bribe. Um, mm. And there's, there's some in, you know, instinctive logic to that. But I think that if um, judicial salaries had increased, as they have in Indonesia quite a few times since the fall of Suharto, um, corruption just gets worse. Judges start asking for more than they did before. Um, <laughs> Inflation. I mean, I, yeah, yeah uh, that's one way, of, a very good way of putting it. Um, but one thing I should note, and I do make this point in the book, um, not all judges are corrupt like this. I mean, there are some honest ones. Um, there are some notoriously honest judges who refuse to take bribes, but they seem to be in the minority. We can't say with any certainty what the proportion of clean to dirty judges are in any mm. in any country. Mm. I mean, judicial corruption is not a not Indonesia's uh, not only Indonesia's problem, um, but but it, it, so there. But there, it's not fair to to kind of tarnish all of Indonesia's judges with the same brush. Are the district courts more corruptible than the, the higher courts? I don't think I could distinguish between them. I think they're all they're all pretty bad. I think the Supreme Court is unfortunately one of the the the, the, the culprits um, in the system. It is actually supposed to be looking after the lower courts, monitoring them, including to make sure that they have high levels of integrity. But um, in the last year or two, we've had a couple of Supreme Court judges of Indonesia and several court staff of the Supreme Court of Indonesia being indicted and convicted of corruption. That, that's interesting. Why do you think that happened? Why did they get indicted and corrupted? Yeah, because... Well, it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's right. I mean, if, if, if everyone is in on it, as, as it seems, reading all these reports, then how, how, how come some people get singled out for, um, for kind of being pursued? Mm. Um, well, the... Other really important institution that came out of the fall of Suharto in 1998. I mentioned the Constitutional Court. The other, another one was the Anti-Corruption Commission, and for a while, the Anti-Corruption Commission was quite effective in the sense that it could bring um, an, quite a number of, I think, 500 or so um, officials uh, to trial and ultimately convicted almost all of them for corruption. Now, not just in the courts. 
Um, but it did focus for a while on judicial corruption. And I talk in the book um, about all of the cases that the corruption, Anti-Corruption Commission brought, or the prosecutions of judges um, brought. Um, uh, I think there are about 30 judges that were found guilty of, of bribery. Mm. So, so how did the government free- gild the anti-corruption? Obviously, it was doing its job. It's not politically um, useful, is it? What's that? The Anti-Corruption, anti-corruption commission. commission. You would think it was more set up initially and they didn't expect it to you know, convict so many judges, would they? Well, was, yeah, it wasn't just judges. It was also members of political parties. It oh, was members right. of political parties, oh. uh, of, of ruling parties. Uh, this, this, and, this sounds like a death sentence for the Anti-Corruption <laughs> Commission. They, yeah. They've actually taken their job seriously. You, uh, it's almost as if you can read the future because... They started off, as I said, this genuine reform period. Started yep. off strong, mm-hmm. had all these wiretapping powers, could could do a lot more than the police, ordinary police and prosecutors could do. Mm-hmm. Built this track record of a hundred percent conviction rate over, a, over quite a number of years. It's not bad. And then started targeting politicians right. and police. <laughs> And of course, that's that's his job. I mean, it's, it's corruption in Parliament. The, the national Parliament is widely regarded in many many surveys as being amongst the most um, corrupt of Indonesian institutions. Um, and so it just cut a swathe through the national Parliament. Um, you know, yeah, legislators from all of the big political parties were were found guilty of corruption after investigations by did the they, Did they end up in prison? Well. Did they end up in prison or they just pay big fines? Yes, yes. yes. No, they ended up in prison. Right. Um, and that's another story I talk, talk about in the book because it's quite a famous um, prison uh, in Indonesia called Sukamiski. Oh, yeah, I know that one, yes. <laughs> and, and all of these guys who are found guilty of corruption end up there. Yes. And they spend all this money on, on making their cells luxurious. That's so right. they, so they, they, there, are, there are stories. In fact, there, are, there have been cases about this where um, convicts, ministers who have been convicted of corruption, have bribed prison officials to let them install air conditioning in their in their cells and have big plasma TVs stored on the walls. And um, there was one one case in which a um, the, you know the prison guards came in and the one the, this this lady who was found guilty of corruption was having her nails done. Um, so there's all sorts of things going on there. But they are nevertheless incarcerated. They may not be facing as dire a situation as your everyday Indonesian um, convict, but. Um, the, the commission actually started cutting through a bit. I don't know whether... Um, I, mean, I mean, politicians were said to think twice before engaging in um, pork barrelling or, or, or these types of practices mm. because they were worried that the KPK, the so, anti-corruption commission, might... So be what busy. happened to the KPK? Something obviously well, has yeah, happened. Well, yeah, the parliament... The parliament... The first, so, so the KPK also tried to... Um, uh, pursue senior police who were widely considered to be corrupt. And that was a bad strategic move because the police basically raided the Anti-Corruption Commission offices right. and you know, took away all sorts of horrible stories of, of what happened and um, stories of Anti-Corruption Commission um, 
our members being framed for crimes they didn't commit. I talk mm-hmm. about some of them in the book as well. Um, um, uh, and and so the police uh, try to chip away at the Anti-Corruption Commission, trying to steal back investigators from the commission so that it can't do its job properly, um, trying to frame commissioners. And the parliament passing laws to try and weaken the commission, and that's what mm. has really happened. Uh, and has installed, you're you, you like this, has installed a head of the Anti-Corruption Commission who after a few years in office, a very controversial figure, has only recently been um, indicted for corruption himself. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Now, look, so, look, so Simon. That, so that, that institution is almost dead, uh, yes, unfortunately, I yeah. think. Now, Simon... Some people would say that you're just making all this up. Where did you, I know you speak fluent Indonesian, but where did you get all this information from? Uh, a lot of reading of, of Indonesian court documents. Right. Because um, uh, I, I, I have noticed the reference pages are almost as one third of the book. Indonesian Indonesian references. No, no, yeah. Look, I'm looking. I'm looking at the book. I'm flicking through it. You know, I'm that type of reader. You know, flicks through things, and the book finishes at two seven seven, and then between two seven eight and between two seven eight and oh god, what is it? Three oh three six five. It's all references. It's all references. Well, so, so you're trying to tell me that you haven't been lying to us. That's right. I've tried to give you a source for... I could give you a source for almost anything that we've talked about today. Mm. But, and and but, it's, not, it's not your research. It's there. It's government research and private... No, 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 no. Mm. So, so the, the book's based on my own research. Right. So all of the cases I've talked about, mm-hmm. um, I've gone away and read and, and I've got um, lots of references to those in the book. Um, but when I talk about corruption, um, I'm saying you can't, you don't have to take my word for it about how bad it is because a lot of very important people in Indonesia, including this presidential task force, have already said it. Mm. But it's not widely known that they've said it outside of Indonesia, so I'm trying to, to spread the word about it. Um, but there's quite a lot of, of new stuff in the book too, um, in the sense that I've gone through all of these trials of, of judges and tried to pull out all the interesting details about the um, the nature of the bribe, how it was paid, how much was paid. Um, you know, some some judges, and I'm not joking, uh, were paid at least in part um, uh, in kind mm-hmm. for, for, with the services of prostitutes. Yep, yep. Um, uh, I also talk quite a lot about the proceedings that have been brought against judges um, for various... Um, kind of ethical breaches um, and try and show that, again, many of them are... Many of the judges who lose their their jobs after being investigated by the Supreme Court lose them because they engaged in some kind of sexual misconduct rather than corruption. They sound like like our British... our British counterparts. Yeah. <laughs> Sexual <laughs> misconduct seems to yeah. be the big thing. Now, getting back, getting back to the book. Yeah. Getting back to the book and getting back to your research. Now, when was the last time you were in Indonesia? Uh, last year, end of last year. And they still let you in? Yeah, well, I don't think that's a problem at the moment. Well, so what do you mean Indonesia- it's not a problem? Why isn't it a problem at the moment? Well, because Indonesians are pretty critical about their own system. 
Back right. in the Sahado era, mm. that might, it might have been quite quite different. But right. Indonesians today are, are, are very free. It's one of the more free has one of the more free media's in in our region. Um, you mean problem. you mean there's more than two legacy media left in Indonesia, <laughs> unlike Australia? <laughs> there, there are. Well, we're talking about um, the the families that you mentioned earlier on the big families. I mean, there are some big media conglomerates in Indonesia which may control the dialogue to some degree in favour of one political party or, or another. Mm. But there is quite a lot of press freedom. Um, it seems to be on the decline. Um, there's a lot of, of defamation cases being brought against media outlets, quite spurious cases, because there's no defence of truth in, in Indonesia. Um, and uh, um, uh, what worries me is if Prabowo Subianto is elected today, then we may see another clamp down on media freedoms like we saw during the Sahado era. Um, well, he's got the track record. He's got a track record. People, what? People, right. When you talk about Indonesian, what percentage of the population would be under 20? You said there's 270 it's million. High. It's mm. high. Mm. The... the, the um, that the youth you know, has a very young population, and that is it's quite interesting because Prabo is his past is is not really well known to them. They haven't experienced it, and he's tried to appeal to them by um, if you had a, if you see the posters in Indonesia of, of him almost as a cartoon figure right. with with um, his running mate former or well, current president Joko Widodo's um, young son. Uh, as his running mate. Not, so we're not, trying to, we're not trying to get a North Korean uh, kind of uh, her, her, hereditary get... monarchs in Indonesia. Well, we we, we may... We, we are... Some people have identified this dynastic trend. Yes. But, yeah. um, you know, I don't know if we're quite there yet. Um, I mean, the other families would... wouldn't be very happy about that, would they? Uh, which, the, the Proboa families and things well, like that. Well, the other, you know, major families, the... Uh, Oh right! Oh no! Well, well, I think I think that um, uh, many of them are support, support Jokowi because his son is running with right. Prabowo today. Mm. Um, that, that that may continue the the legacy. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I, I'm not I'm not fearful of what might happen in Indonesia if I speak out if I write in an academic book with right. references, etc., right. etc., et like I may have been uh, a few decades ago. Right. But that may change if mm. Parole becomes president. So uh, I need some advice. Mm. Would you like to give me some advice, Simon? Depends what the, uh, <laughs> what the question is. Well, well, it's about going to Indonesia. Look, I, I'm yeah. the convener of the uh, West Papua Rent Collective, and for the last nine years... We've been raising money to keep uh, West Papua an office, one of the few in the world, I think there's only two, coordinate, help to coordinate the West Papua independence struggle in West Papua. And, you know, it's in Collins Street. It's used as a de facto uh, embassy, and we have some major figures who've been in prison uh, in Indonesia. West Papuans who now live in Australia involved in that particular office. Now, do you think I should go for a holiday to Bali? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. I don't know. Should I'm, I wait I'm, till after the presidential election? You know. Uh, I don't 
don't think that will help. <laughs> I think I, I think I think he probably should have already gone if you were going to go. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> well, I've well, you know I've, I've never had that desire, but you know I just thought I'd just check with a fluent. I mean, you you write all this stuff. You've got hundreds of references. I mean, I'm just a nobody, and uh, they let you in. What's going on? I know. It's not fair, is it? <laughs> it's, it's not, not fair. fair. And all, all you want to do is go to Bali for a holiday. Oh, yes. Well, I've got a friend who owns a resort, so he keeps telling me to come. And I keep saying, I don't want to do don't want to go. You so you feel quite comfortable about how Indonesia's moving? No, not at all. Not at all, um, right? No, no, I don't. We've I got don't about three it. or four minutes. What's yeah. what's your what do you think is going to happen? Well, well, it's 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 if Prabowo is elected today, and by many accounts he will be elected today, mm-hmm. um, and not just elected um, to president, but elected in a landslide, um, then he may attempt to roll back some of the gains that have been made since Sato's fall. Mm-hmm. He, he he used that as one of his platforms um, when he stood for election uh, about a decade ago. Uh, he said, "I'm going to unravel. I'm going to make the changes to the constitution. I'm going to reverse the, the changes to the constitution that, um, that that were made after the fall of Suharto. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, then Indonesia might no longer be a democracy." He, he famously said, "If you vote for me, you may only need to vote for me once." <laughs> I like the man. He's honest. And, and so, do you think our ally, the US of A, is going to help us in this little conflict that's brewing on the horizon with Indonesia? I don't know if there is, if there is a conflict brewing on the horizon. You don't think there um, will be? Well, I think that I think that in, uh, quite a lot of Australians will be rightly concerned if and only if democracy does decline in mm. Indonesia. Mm. I mean, Prabowo track record is not great, but I don't think he's been really um, pushing his hard line on democracy, on human rights, etc. in this campaign. So I think, I think it remains to be seen precisely what he does. Um, but at least he's allowed to, to travel to Australia. Do you know that when um, he was, before he was a presidential candidate, he was on a blacklist, not, he wasn't allowed to go into America? That's right, yeah. There's, yeah. Oh, well, there's people like that everywhere, you know, war criminals, but that's the way it goes. All right, look, Simon, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. So it's, I've got this little book here, Picture of the Constitutional Court. It's got red columns and big steps. Very Romanesque, I think, you know. Yes, that's right. <laughs> it looks, looks like Nine something. Nine columns, one for each judge, although you can't see them on the front cover. Oh, right. Yeah. And, uh, you yeah. know, nice steps. There's no people on the steps. It's always a good sign that, a, you know, the court's not yeah. interested. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. I hope there's minimal change. I mean, um, it's interesting. But again, the Philippines, Indonesia... Uh, Thailand, we're all seeing the same. America, Australia, the same push towards authoritarianism because I think parliamentary democracy has really had its heyday. It's uh, on the back foot everywhere because it just doesn't deliver. Yeah, there's some problems. Do you think do you think he'll be able to deliver economically to the people of Indonesia? Um, that's a good question. That, that's another that's another question to worry about um, because. 
I mean, Indonesia under Suharto was pretty pretty good in terms of economic development. A lot of money went to the central government and into his pockets, but at the same time, Indonesia was, Indonesia's poverty levels declined, education improved, etc. So, yeah, I, I, it remains to be seen, I think. You know, we, we, we can't really guess yet as to how that will work. But he seems to be interested in the economy. Um, Jokowi certainly is. So... You know, if he if he continues Jokowi's economic policies, which apparently he he will, um, then perhaps the economy at least will will um, not suffer. So my mate uh, resort in Bali, he's, he's he, he'll be all right. You reckon? They're not going to take it off him. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You don't know. Well, thank you, Professor Simon Butt. B U double T. If you're looking for the book. Judicial Dysfunction in Indonesia. It's available through Melbourne University Press. Thank you very much for your insights. Thank you very much, Joe, for having me today. It's been great fun. It has, and that's the whole point, is we, we try to bring serious politics with a little bit of laughter, because if you don't laugh, you cry. Thank you very much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Simon. Bye. Thanks, Kelly. You might have heard about the Community Radio Plus app, but it's only when you start using it that you'll wonder how you lived without it. You can listen to us wherever you are. At home, work, driving. On public transport, gardening, protesting, or even in the bath. Just search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.